John chapter 1. And a few weeks ago, we started a series on the voice, looking at the voice. And we uh, saw the significance of our voice. And I want us to continue this study this morning. Remember the word voice is used in 456 verses in the Bible. And we looked at some of those uses last time. Most of the uses are referring to the voice of the Lord or the voice of men. But we did see it refers to other voices last time. Uh, the voice of blood, Abel's blood. Um, the voice of floods, the voice of animals. Um, the voice of the heavens and, and several other uses throughout Scripture. And each of them with a significance. But we're going to look now at the voice of man and looking particularly today at the voice of one crying in the wilderness or the voice of John the Baptist. I told you before I heard Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson make this statement that John the Baptist may have lost his head, but he never lost his voice. And I thought that very interesting because... In the passage we're going to examine this morning, when John was asked, who are you? He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He recognized his whole purpose was to be a voice. And God has given every one of us a voice to be used for the glory of God. So the question today is, how are you using your voice? Is it for the glory of God or is it for promoting self? So if you are physically able, if you would please stand with me for the, in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read in John chapter 1, starting at verse 19 down through 27. John chapter 1, starting at verse 19. And this is a record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? He saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give answer to them to send us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as, say, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were other Pharisees. And asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered him, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you, whom you know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. And so I want us to see about the voice of John, and all three of these are actually going to come from verse 23. Three things this morning. The first one is that John had a clear voice. He had a clear voice. Now, I don't mean necessarily physically clear. It could have been a gargled voice. I don't know. But a clear voice, we'll look at what I mean by that. It comes from the phrase of crying in the wilderness. I'm sorry, crying. A voice crying. And secondly, we're going to observe in the phrase in the wilderness shows that he had a committed voice. How would you like that to be your church? The place where you go to meet is in the wilderness. That took some commitment. Then lastly, John had a certain voice. And then the rest of the verse tells us he had a very distinct message that he gave. And so should our voice. John used his voice for God's glory, and you and I must do the same. Let us look to the Lord in prayer, please. Father, again, I pray that you give wisdom this morning, give words, give understanding. 
that what is said today would truly be a message from your word to eternal souls. Lord, I pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would have reigned this morning to work in hearts, that souls be convicted. Again, Father, if there's one that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they would truly understand their need for Jesus Christ. And may we be careful to give you the praise and glory for all this done, and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. John had a clear voice. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. So he recognized that he was a voice. You know, John could have said many things. He could have said, well, I'm, the, I'm, I'm out here, you know, preaching. I, I uh, wear camel skin and eat locusts and honey. And, you know, I, I, he, could have, he could have said, I'm a prophet. He could have said all kinds of things that would have been true. But he says, no. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. So Christian, let me ask, how do you use your voice? Do you use it for the Lord? You know, some people think, well, my voice doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. I'm not going to give my opinion. I'm not going to say anything because my voice doesn't matter. We hear this often, especially around election times. Do we not? Well, my voice doesn't matter, so I'm not going to go vote. And then you find out that the guy who won, won by three votes. Really? Your voice didn't matter? Yes, it does. Well, people don't care, so I'm not going to talk. Or whatever. You know, we get all these attitudes of people don't really want to hear about Jesus, so I'm not going to talk about him. But folks, they need to hear about him. Now, I'm not saying, you know, be rude and, 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 and whatnot, but I'm saying, should we not be speaking the things of God, no matter where we are? Take an opportunity to share the truths of God's word. Share with them Jesus Christ. Remember, the response of others is not your responsibility. Well, if I share the gospel with them, they're not going to listen. Is that for me to judge? Is that my responsibility? No, my responsibility is to share the gospel with them. You see, John was not trying to hide who he was. They ask him. You go back. He's ask him, are you... Elias, or that would be Elijah. Nope. Are you that prophet? And some think that that might have been Jeremiah or some other prophet. He says, nope, that's not who I am. Verse 22, who art thou? We may give an answer to them to send, sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He knew that his purpose was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he was willing to share that. Christian, you and I have a purpose in life. You and I are here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you and I willingly identify with Christ? Are you telling others that you're a Christian? Or do you, better yet, live in such a manner that they can see that you're a Christian? But we should be telling them, should we not? Or do you try to fit in with the world? Because I don't want to be different. I don't want to be criticized. John was not trying to hide who he was. So are you bold in proclaiming who you are? I'm a child of the king. Should I be ashamed of that? I'm a child of God. John was satisfied being this voice in the wilderness. Are you satisfied with what God has called you to do? It may not be something in the limelight. It may not be the most glorious task. But are you satisfied doing what God has designed you to do? Now, yes, John did have crowds come out and hear him preach. But I'll tell you, eating locust and honey is not the diet that I think I would want to have. 
Living in the wilderness is not the place that I would want to be. But John was willing to do so because it's what God called him to do. He recognized he was a voice. And we see also his voice was heard. It says he was crying. It has the idea of crying aloud or shouting. Is our voice heard? I hear people say, well, you know, preacher, you don't understand. I'm shy. Well, I'm naturally a shy person too. Most of you might not believe that, but I truly am a shy person. If I had my choice of being in a crowd or being home alone, I'm choosing home alone. But the thing is, is I can't be so shy that I'm not willing to speak for Christ. I can't be so shy that I'm not willing to go out of my comfort zone to welcome people here. This morning, Sarah's here visiting and has a friend with her. And I've forgotten your name that fast. Sean, thank you. But you know, did I know Sean before I went up and I started talking to him? No. Do I know a whole lot about Sean now? No, I don't. I hope Sean's not going to embarrass me talking about him. But the thing is, is what I find is, you know, if I just walk by Sean and, oh, I'm too shy, I'm not going to talk to him, he'd be like, well, that's a real welcoming preacher. So I got to go out of my way, not that it was an imposition to come and talk to you, but it's uncomfortable because I don't know you. But how would I ever get to know Sean if I didn't go talk to him? You know, there was a day when I didn't know Charlie and I didn't know Ed and I didn't know any of you, but we talked and we got to know each other, right? But if we never started, where would we be? Well, the point being this, stop using excuses. Many people are naturally shy, but we've got to get out of our comfort zone to get to know others. And don't assume things about others till you actually get to talk to them and know them. Remember this. If you use the excuse, I'm too shy to talk to somebody, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. If I refuse to speak of Christ, they may never hear. If I refuse to speak of Christ because I'm too shy, they may never hear. But you know something else about this clear voice? Others recognized he had a clear voice. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 5, we're told, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan. Now that's pretty interesting because John is out there in the wilderness. And you see pictured up there today a desert because that's what a wilderness is, a desert place. So how would you like to leave the nice comfort city that you're living in and go out to the desert to hear the preacher? You know, I just imagine in today's society, if we were to say, hey, we're going to have a big, big uh, services and we're going to go out in the middle of the desert and that's where we're going to set up the tent and we're going to ask everybody to come out, that we probably would not be very well attended because everybody's going to be like, yeah, I'm not going. Not going to the desert to go hear preaching. But then, because John had a clear voice, the people said, hey, you know what? Let's go ahead and travel out to the desert. And they didn't get in their cars, by the way, and drive there. Most of them probably walked. Maybe they had animals to ride on. But for the most part, they would have walked there to go hear this preacher because there was something different about him, something unique, something that needed to be heard. And they understood that guy has something to say. We better go hear what he has to say. Christian, do your my life draw others to Christ? Do your and my life, are we living our lives in such a way that others say, there's something to what they have to say. I need to hear more of it. Again, 
Christian. This is what it means to be separated from the world, that we are to be different, that we're to be living by faith in Jesus Christ, that we're to be trusting Him by day by day in such a manner that others are like, I don't understand. Everybody in the world is living in fear, and you're not. Everybody's panicking, and you're not. Everybody is, but you just seem so calm. You're so assured. Well, yes, and let me tell you, it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We're afraid to talk of him. Well, you know, they say we're not supposed to talk religion at, at workplace. Well, here's a good point for you. You, if you're a born-again believer, you don't have religion, you have a relationship, so you're talking about your friends. So it's okay to talk about your friends, and you can talk about Jesus Christ at work. You say, well, I might get in trouble. Let me ask a question. And I understand some of your jobs, they say, you know, you're not supposed to talk religion and politics. Matter of fact, our city manager was sitting down with me. He goes, he goes normally I don't talk religion and politics with uh, people. He goes, but you seem to be maybe the exception because that's what you do, both of them. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Anyhow, we get this attitude of we're not supposed to talk about God. Well, God said I can talk about God. And God's role is greater than man's role. John didn't care. He was going to preach the truth. You know, those that came out to hear him may have not have recognized him as the forerunner of Christ, and obviously did not because they're asking, who are you? What are you doing out here preaching? But they did recognize he had something to say. So not only did John have this clear voice, but John also had a committed voice. John had a committed voice. Hold your place here in John. Put a marker there or something. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 11, please. Matthew chapter 11. And I'm going to read a passage here in Matthew 11. And then we're going to focus on some of these verses and the understanding that John had a committed voice. So let's start at verse 1. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in the cities. Now when John had heard in the prison of the work of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which he do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have gospel preached unto them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet. Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, this is this is Elias, which was for to come. And he, he that hath the ears to hear, let him hear. But whereunto shall I liken this generation? Is like the children sitting in the markets and calling to their fellows and say, We have piped unto you, and you, you have not danced, we have mourned uh, unto you. And you have not lamented. 
John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man eateth and drinketh, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, and a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. John recognized his place. Crying in the wilderness was not a place of luxury. Are you in the place that God has for you? Many that have been saved for a long time probably have heard the term the 1040 window as a, as a window of latitudes. It's a window on earth that where the gospel, is, very few missionaries have ever gone to preach the gospel. It's, it's much needed. And it also happens to be some of the harshest climates of the world. The point being is that Christian, you and I need to be exactly where God has placed us to be. But I want us to look at a few things about John as a voice that is a committed voice here in these verses. Let's go back to verse 7 in Matthew 11. It says, Jesus asked the question, What went you out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? A reed shaken in the wind. Like a, just a, a, you know, you ever watch when the winds blow how the grass just sways back and forth and it just does whatever and, it, and nothing, no stuff, substance to it? Well, that's the idea of what he's trying to say. John was not unsettled or confused, but John was steadfast. He was steadfast. And, and Jesus compliments him in this. He says, you didn't go out and see some shaken reed, but John was steadfast. Christian, you and I need to be steadfast. As we're told in Ephesians 4.14, they we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. You and I need to be grounded in the Word of God. We talked about the importance of the Word earlier today, and being grounded in the Word of God. What does that mean? Well, part of it is being here today, hearing the preaching of the Word, and we should be in every service hearing the preaching of the Word, but it's also studying the Word, being a student of the Word, so we understand more of what God has revealed to us. But we must be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. But how are we going to become steadfast? Well, we've got to be grounded in what the truth of God's Word teaches and say, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to compromise. Despite what the world wants to try to push and teach, we're going to stand on the truths of God's Word, right? Well, what are some of the truths of God's Word, folks? All life is still sacred, is it not? Marriage is still between one man and one woman, is it not? And we could go on with other truths of God's Word. Jesus Christ still saves, does He not? And people need to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. James 1.8 says, A double-manded mind is unstable and is all his ways. Now in context, and this is why I read the first few verses, the two of John's disciples came to verify that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, now what happened here? John's in prison. Now, I don't believe John had a lapse of faith, but John is just kind of, I, I, I would think justifiably, okay, I'm the forerunner of Christ. He knew that. I'm now in prison, but Christ's ministry wasn't fully going yet at this point, he's like, what's going on? Are you he who's coming? Again, I don't believe John having a lapse of faith, but just trying to verify because Jesus tell, simply tells his disciples, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. 
Tell them that the blind see, the lame are walking, the dead are risen up. Because Jesus knew as soon as John heard these things, he'd be like, I don't know why I ever tried doubting. It would firm his, his uh, resolve again. But by the way, may I say, every one of us has had those times when it seems like, Lord, I'm serving you, and things seem to go wrong, that we start to maybe want to try to question. But let's be like John. Just verify, no, this is right, and keep moving on, keep pressing on. So John was steadfast. But then let's look at verse 8. Jesus says, What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. So remember we're told in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 4, And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locust and wild honey. Now, I have never worn a camel hair garment, but I would imagine that that's probably not the softest thing in the world. And a leather girdle and a diet of locust and honey. We're talking a rugged guy. Jesus is saying, what, did you go out to see somebody in soft clothing? Soft clothing, well, most of what we wear today probably is considered soft clothing, okay? You know, something made out of silk. It wasn't everyday stuff. It's in a king's house, right? It was what the rich would wear. Soft attire. But John, he's real rugged. The idea is John was rugged, not soft. The problem is today, we want to serve Christ at our convenience. We want a Christianity that is soft. We don't want trials in life. We don't want hardships in life. We want it easy. But God never said it was going to be easy. He never said there was not going to come trials. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. He promised us what happened if we're going to serve God. And so, Christian, it's time we toughen up a little bit. What hardships are we willing to face for Christ? 2 Timothy 2.3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. My time with the Marines, I really did enjoy. But I'll tell you what, I got a great respect for them. When you go out in the field and you're living in tents or trenches or whatever, and, you know, it's, it's rugged, it's dirty, it's, it's hot or it's cold or whatever the case may be, and sometimes it's just downright hard. But you endure it. Why? Well, because court-martial doesn't sound like a good option, one. But because it's the right thing to do, too. <laughs> but yet in the Christian life... We want it easy. Serving God is joyful. It's the most joyful thing I've ever done. Well, let me tell you something. It's not been easy. Past Monday, this past Monday, we had the Preacher's Fellowship. We hosted it here. And one of the preachers in one of his messages was saying something about, you know, Monday morning when we get up and we write our resignations, and everybody laughed because you don't know how many pastors have resigned on Monday morning. You don't know how many resignation letters I've written on Monday morning. Why? Because some weeks it's just hard, but you don't quit. You keep going. You keep going. Why? Because someday I'm going to stand before my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to give an account of what I've done for him. And as this song says, it will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. Don't you think it was worth it for John to endure this hardness? 
Then verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, But what, what, what went ye out for to see? That sounds southern, doesn't it? What went ye out for to see? A prophet, yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. John was more than just a prophet. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He knew that specific purpose in life. That he was not just a prophet, but the forerunner of Messiah himself. But understand, the whole time John's ministry, he's preaching repentance. He's preaching to the folks that there's coming one greater than me. He must increase, I must decrease. John's ministry was never about John. John's ministry was all about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. You and I, Christian, are not to live for me, for ourselves. We are to live for Him. This ministry is not about me. It's about Him. And everything we do should be for His glory. Let me ask again, are you satisfied with what God has for you to do? The ministry to which He's called you. But then look at verses 18 and 19. Again, talking about this committed voice. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking. They say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber and a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. So Jesus is saying, John did not come eating and drinking. Now Jesus, when he did, he would eat with sinners, different ministries, but the idea is John was very disciplined, not self-indulgent. Now, Jesus Christ was not self-indulgent either, although being accused of it, he was not, okay? But I want us to take away this. You see in what Jesus is saying about John, that John was a very disciplined man. You know something we're lacking in our society? is discipline. Discipline. We Christians should be an example of discipline. When you go to work, you should be on time. And to be on time is to be late, right? You always got that 15 minutes prior to 15 minutes prior. And so you end up showing up way early. Okay, but is it really a bad thing to be there at work early versus walking in late? When I worked at Walmart, there was a guy, he's a good Christian fellow, but every single day, five to ten after he was supposed to be there, he's making a beeline for the time clock trying to get in there. It's like, I almost wanted to grab his watch and set it back 15 minutes early, you know, just to see if he'd get there on time. Because in my opinion, it was a horrible example that he goes around telling people he's a, he's a child of God, but then couldn't even show up to work on time. You do realize the lost world watches every move you make, right? And they judge what Christianity is about by what they see in you. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, you are Christ little one, Christ one, Christ follower, Christian. And so is, I think it is fair that they could say, this is what a Christian then should be. And if you don't think it's fair, well, it doesn't matter whether it's fair or not. The fact is they do it. So live like we should be an example of what reflecting our Savior. In other words, doing our absolute best all the time, living a disciplined life. When you get to work, work hard, get the job done. Do what you're told to do. I know these are really simple, basic things, but boy, it really needs to be said in today's society. Finish the task. I remember years ago, I was stationed at a... Okay, 
Technically, my orders were to Warminster, Pennsylvania, which was a Naval Research and Development Center, but they were closing the base down, so I got moved over to uh, NASJRB Willow Grove, uh, Naval Air Station Joint Reserve Base Willow Grove. So it was a reserve base, so that should tell you something right there. And I love reservists, I do, but they would come in on the weekends, and we had this corpsman, reservist corpsman, comes in, and, okay, what are you trained to do? Well, I can do EKGs. Great. We're going to put you on EKGs today. Now, remember, in physical exams, every pilot, all the flight physicals are getting EKG. A lot of your others getting EKGs, too, depending on the physical. So we're sending him patients, and all of a sudden, I see the line backing up. And I'm like, hmm, wonder what's going on. So I go over, and I knock on the door, and the patient's like, come on in. I walk in, and he's all strapped to all this EKG stuff, but there's no corpsman around. I'm like, uh, where did he go? I don't know. So I finish up the guy's EKG, and when the corpsman comes back, I'm like, where did you go? He goes, it was lunchtime. I was like, you left a patient on the table strapped up to the EKG machine. What is wrong with you? That type of stuff happened on a more frequent basis than it should have, I'm telling you. But you want to talk about lack of discipline? How could you possibly leave a guy strapped to the EKG? But he did, and it was lunchtime. He was gone. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Be disciplined. Keep at it, Christian. Keep going. Keep going. Well, moving on. Going back to our passage in John. He said, I am a voice of one crying. He had a clear voice. In the wilderness, he had a committed voice. Make straight the way of the Lord. As, saith, as said the prophet Isaiah, he had a certain voice. Again, he recognized his purpose. He knew he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Make straight the way of the Lord. He was the forerunner. In other words, he's putting down the groundwork for the ministry that Christ is about to do. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? He's the one that went before Christ. The best example I've seen of this, I was watching some documentary, and you all can think I'm crazy because I like documentaries on weird stuff, but it was about the Secret Service. Those are some pretty cool guys. But it was talking about when the president travels, let's say he was going to come here and do an event in Havelock. Not going to happen, but let's just use it for an example. And we were going to host it over at the Tourist Event Center. Well, the this, the... Secret Service would come, and they would look at the building, the surroundings, everything, looking for security, looking for, you know, all kinds of the way in, the ingress, egress, everything. And then they'd say, that's not a good place to hold it, and they're going to move it, okay? <clears throat> and then they would figure out where to have this, and they spend weeks ahead of the president on his schedule trying to figure out every last detail of where the president's going to go. When the president might, shows up, it might only be for an hour. But they have spent copious hours preparing ahead of time because they're the forerunner to make sure nothing goes wrong when the president gets there. Would you consider that pretty important? Yes. Let's never downplay the ministry that John was given. He was the one preparing the way for Christ to come and do his ministry. You want to talk about the opportunity to get a big head. 
okay, humanly speaking, because that's pretty powerful ministry. Wouldn't you agree? A pretty important ministry. But then when we read about John, every time he refers to Christ, there's one greater than me. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and undo his shoe latches. He must increase. I must decrease. He's greater than I. John never became proud about John because his focus was on Jesus Christ. You and I, if we get our focus off of self and put it on Christ, are going to quickly realize he must increase, I must decrease. He is everything, I am nothing. And we're going to get a good perspective of self once we get a good perspective of who Christ is. John knew his place. And Christian, you and I must understand our place. Because let me tell you something about these secret services that go ahead of the president. Never applauded. Unsung heroes. Just doing their job day after day. The only time we recognize them is when it goes wrong. Is that not true? So then again, with what God has created you to be, are you thankful? Or as Paul said in Romans 9, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Have you ever said, Lord, why did you make me the way I am? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? I would rather be doing X, Y, Z. Honestly, probably most in this room, if we were honest with ourselves, have had those thoughts cross our mind. But we need to stop and realize, I am the creature, he's the creator, he made me the way he made me for a very specific reason, and instead of complaining about it, I should be thankful for it, and then I should just use what he's given me for his glory. John's message was not misunderstood. Matthew 3, verse 2, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was very clear in what he was saying, was he not? He preached a message of repentance. He spoke very boldly. Matthew 3 and verse 7, When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned thee to flee from the wrath to come? Now, most people in that day, when they saw a Pharisee or Sadducee, would be like, oh, hey, Mr. Pharisee, how are you today? You know, kind of like people do with politicians and went, oh, you're so wonderful. And then they talk about them back behind their back. Or like when the CEO comes, everybody wants to, you know, be his best buddy, but then you talk bad about him behind their back. Well, when John saw the Pharisees and Sadducees, he didn't pull no punches. He says, hey, vipers, who told you to flee to wrath to come? You self-righteous pompous Pharisees, because that's what they were. So he called it as he saw it, I guess, right? My point being is he was pretty bold. You say, well, that's pretty ugly of them. No, because they were the religious leaders who were leading people astray, and John was calling them out on it. Which, by the way, Jesus continued to do during his ministry. So it was a good preparation for what Christ was going to do. You see how the forerunner set the way for the Messiah. And if that's not good enough, then John has to stick his nose into politics. And he goes to Herod and say, hey, hey, you're not supposed to have Philip's wife. That's sin. Matthew 4, 3 and 4, for Herod 
had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for John said to them, it is not lawful for thee to have her. Well, John, you got in prison because you stuck your nose in politics. Had to go there, didn't you? Yes, he did. And he did it boldly. And he did it because it was the right thing to do. Well, I'm afraid to speak up. Because what if I get in trouble? John lost his head. But as Lieutenant Governor said, he never did lose his voice, did he? So let's go back one more time to Matthew 11. He had a certain voice. He had a very specific purpose. He preached it loudly, preached it clearly. He did not waver on what he was saying. He was bold. He was not misunderstood. And because of that, I want you to look at chapter 11 and verse 11. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he is least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. That's some pretty powerful words coming from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a compliment to John. Jesus complimented John for being the voice in the wilderness, for accomplishing his purpose in life, for doing what John was called to do. You know, John's ministry was not a very long ministry. Yet you mentioned John the Baptist, and everybody knows, especially we Baptists, right? But even Jesus himself commended John. Christian, my point that I want to make on this is this. You and I have been given a voice. You and I have been left here to proclaim Jesus Christ. You and I may not be that voice in the wilderness, but we may be the voice in Havelock. We may be the voice in New Bern. Maybe the voice in Newport. Maybe the voice in Eastern Carolina. But someday we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. How did we use our voice? Did we use it for him? Did we proclaim Jesus Christ to others? Remember John's message was a message of repentance? You know, our message still hasn't changed. Repent. Repent. You say, repent of what? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because you see... Every one of us in this room is a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. You say, what is a sinner? Sinner is doing anything that goes against God's law. Now, we've all heard of God's law. We know that thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not do these things. And if we are honest and evaluate our heart, we realize that we have not kept the commandments of God. Thereby sinning, not keeping his commands, transgressing his law, we have violated God's law and it must be punished. Because the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to be separated from God. Everyone in this room deserves eternal damnation and a place called hell. Every one of us deserve to be eternally separated from God. And some say, well, okay, I understand that preacher. I understand that I have sinned. I've done a couple bad things, but I'm not as bad as somebody else. But it's not a comparison of who's who. Because every one of us has sinned, and sin must be paid for. You say, well, yeah, but God understands. So when I get to heaven, maybe he'll start to put my good on one side and my bad on the other, and hopefully my good will outweigh my bad. But the Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Your good never will outweigh your bad. It can't work that way. In other words, there's nothing you can do good enough to save yourself. Going to church won't save you. Reading your Bible won't save you. Getting baptized won't save you. None of these things will save you. 
The only way you can be saved is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Coming to him as your Lord and Savior. You see, because Jesus Christ came and died and lived, he lived a perfect sinless life, something you and I could not do so that he could give his life as a substitute on the cross of Calvary. And he hung there and willingly died and shed his blood that he could offer to you the gift of eternal life. And so you ask, what to repent? Repent has the idea of turning from something and turning to something else. So I need to turn from my sin. I need to turn from trusting in myself, trusting in my ways, trusting in my religion. Turn from that and turn to Jesus Christ and say, I come humbly before you and put my faith and trust in you alone. You see, the message still hasn't changed because it's still a matter of repenting and coming to Jesus Christ. And once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know what? He creates in us a new man. He forgives our sin. He washes it as far as the east is from the west. He makes us white as snow. He says, instead of having eternal damnation in hell, I'm going to give you eternal life with me in heaven. Wow, what an exchange. And so God has left me to use my voice to tell you that very thing. And if you're here this morning and have not received Christ as Savior, then we would love to give you opportunity to receive him today. You see, because... That's why we Christians are here, is to share that good news with you. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ saves. That's why we're here to tell that to you. And then to help you be able to grow in his word and to be an encouragement to you. Because trust me, everyone who's born again believer would rather be with Christ. But he's left us here for a purpose. And he's left us here to use our voice to share with you this glorious message. And so if you're here this morning and have not received Christ in just a few moments, we're going to have what we call our invitation, a time when we invite you to do business with God. And what we would ask is that you would just allow us to take a Bible and show you from the Word of God, maybe a little bit more detail than what I just explained, how the Jesus Christ came to save you and how He wants to be your Savior. But for the Christian here today, can we learn from John that he had a clear voice? He had a committed voice. He had a certain voice. And let's evaluate, how am I using my voice for him? Because someday I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of what I've done for him. Let's bow for a word of prayer.